Today's message is on how God sometimes works through the denial of desire. And so you can open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to look together at verse 7. And this message is drawn from the life of David Brainerd. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar, David Brainerd was an American missionary to the Native Americans somewhere in the early 1700s. And I realize that raises a question. Why would you take the time to teach from the life of someone who was alive 300 or so years ago? And that's answering that question is why I asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where the writer of Hebrews says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, in the immediate sense, in the context in which this was written, uh, there's a storm of persecution that is gathering for the Hebrew believers. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to help them. He wants to fortify them. He wants to console them. And so he does this by saying, listen, remember the words and the way of life of your leaders. Remember the words and the way of life of your pastors. That will help you in this season. But there's also a secondary application of this passage as well, and that is that we are called to remember the leaders that have gone before us in Scripture and before us in history, to consider the outcome of their way of life, to consider their faith. And in fact, we are commanded to do this in Scripture, which is why Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews walks us through that gallery of faith and, and encourages us to remember back because we're commanded to do this. And so it's kind of under the authority of that passage that I want to, I'm going to pray, and then I want to offer you a message that is entitled, Brainerd and the Denial of Desire. So pray with me if you would. Lord, we want to thank you for men and women of history that inspire our faith that we can look to to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate the way they express their confidence in you. Lord, we pray you would use this story from history to inspire us towards you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1749, one of the most significant events in the spread of the gospel over the past three centuries occurred. And that was the publishing of the book, The Life of David Brainerd. Countless missionaries, including Henry Martin, uh, William Carey, uh, Robert Murray McShane, Jim Elliott, countless missionaries were inspired to the mission field by reading that one book. Now what's interesting is that book had a rather remarkable origin. It was written by none other than Jonathan Edwards. And if that's an unfamiliar name to you, Jonathan Edwards was perhaps the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. Well, Jonathan Edwards had befriended David Brainerd. And while David Brainerd was out in the mission field, he contracted tuberculosis from the very arduous ministry that he had among the American Indians. 
And so Jonathan Edwards brought him into his home to recuperate. Well, David Brainerd did not recover from his tuberculosis. And October 9th, 1747, David Brainerd passed from this earth, leaving all of his earthly possessions in the care of Jonathan Edwards. And among those possessions were David Brainerd's personal diaries. And Edwards began to read the diaries of David Brainerd. And he was absolutely captivated by the sincere godliness, by the intelligent faith that this man expressed. And he felt somewhat compelled by the Spirit of God to preserve his story for history, to do Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 for our behalf. And so he did so by writing a book entitled The Life of David Brainerd. And this small volume was to become the most widely read and the most reprinted of all of Jonathan Edwards' work for the next hundred years. But here's the irony about that. Were it not for the single most devastating failure of David Brainerd's life, David Brainerd would have never gone to the Indians, that book would have never been published, and scores of missionaries may have remained uninspired and on the sidelines if not for the publication of that book. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been so captivated by a dream for your future that you were willing to deny yourself, that you were willing to make sacrifices just to lay hold of that dream? Something inside of you that perhaps existed for years that was like a desire from the future that, that was a powerful tractor beam drawing you down a certain path. David Brainerd's consuming desire was to be a pastor. He wanted to preach. He felt called to care. He wanted to assume responsibility for the people of God. Now, you may not be able to relate to that specific desire, and I understand that, but perhaps you can relate, relate to the idea that this was a person that had dreams. This was a person that had a desire that he had spent his whole life setting the stage for. Now, to be a pastor back then, in that period of American history, you were required to have a university degree. And so David Brainerd enrolled in Yale and was accepted. In fact, he was not just accepted, but David Brainerd was on the fast track in Yale. He was bright, he was articulate, he was well-liked. And for, for several years, he remained there and was about to graduate from the largest class ever, and David Brainerd was at the top of his class. I mean, can you imagine the prestige of that position or the mental firepower that it took to obtain it? But, like all of us, David Brainerd's tongue was not as smart as his brain. I love the way Jonathan Edwards described David Brainerd. He said, quote, Brainerd had the unhappiness to have a tincture of that intemperate, indiscreet zeal, which is Ed Edwards' way of saying, he had a big mouth, 
and he knew how to use it. See, that's how they, they, that's how they criticized in the old school. That's, that's how they talked. And this is what happened. See, the great awakening, an outpouring of the Spirit was breaking out throughout all of New England, and it was turning Yale, the institution, upside down. And Edwards had just been in to preach at Yale, and the Spirit of God was being poured out upon the students at Yale. By the way, keep in mind, anytime you hear about the Spirit of God being poured out in history, it's not always this fringe event, but there are oftentimes in history great theologians that are embedded in the middle of the Spirit of God being poured out. But unfortunately, not all the faculty shared the enthusiasm of the students regarding the outpouring of the Spirit. And there was a professor, one Chauncey Whittlesey, who didn't support the move of the Spirit whatsoever. And one day, David Brainerd was standing in the hallway talking to some friends, and he began to criticize Whittlesey, and he basically said, quote, He has no more grace, and he looked around and said, then this chair right here. And then he he went on to wonder aloud whether the man would, quote, just drop down dead because of his lack of support for the awakening. I mean, you could almost hear in those words the the youthful arrogance, the, the immature indiscretion that characterized his life at times. Well, the problem was somebody did hear. And it was reported to the administration. And David Brainerd was immediately expelled. I want you to stop and ponder that just for a second. Top of his class. Best school in the nation. In line to become valedictorian. Only months away from fulfilling his life dream. Choice of any pulpit in the country whatsoever. And in a moment, he is expelled. In a moment, he is disgraced. He had failed. I remember a time where I just concluded a message where a guy came up to me at the end of the service. I'll call him Stu. And he posed the following question to me. He said, what do I do when my desires set me up to fail. And I said, well, you know, tell me me your story. And he began telling me how how Stu had graduated from college, and he, he had this desire to achieve a certain amount of wealth so that he could then serve the Lord at least part time in some kind of ministry. And he became successful in his job, And the church actually offered him a position that he could serve in. And it just seemed like to him, it was this Christian novel that had this happy ending. And it was all being rolled up in a tight little ball where he was glorifying God. And then almost overnight, his boss moved on to another role. The demands of his job were shifted around and changed. And he had some difficulty with a new boss and in a new position. And he was eventually fire. Here's my question. How do you help a guy who concludes that his life dreams for glorifying God have resulted in a failure? His life dreams, the one thing he's looked out to, the one thing he's tried to lay a hold of, the one thing that he's built his life towards is now a failure, and that was the one way that he was going to glorify God. That's David Brainerd at that period of history. 
Now, here's the singular point I want to make and then return to throughout what I want to share this morning, and that is, quote, that failure is often desires denied for a better plan. Failure is often desires denied for a better plan. And I want to explore with you three different ways that Brainerd's failure resulted in God's better plan. That we might apply together Hebrews chapter 13 to consider the outcome of his way of life and to imitate his faith. So this is three ways that failure resulted in a better plan. First one is the better plan for being laid low. The better plan for being laid low. Now, do you remember Stu's question that I referenced from the story earlier? What do I do when my desire set me up to fail, was his question. And, and this is hard to wrap our brain around, so I'm going to say it slowly, but, but there are times where God intentionally will kindle and then refuse certain desires. He will refuse certain desires for the humbling effect that the refusal will have upon us and upon our soul. And sometimes it will ultimately result in, the, in a failure in our life because the failure assaults our pride in a unique way. You know, there are certain kinds of pride that... There are certain kinds of entrenched pride, I should say, that only failure can get at. Only failure can reach that far down and upset that kind of pride. So, the, the people of Babel have this wild idea. They say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower up to the heavens, and we will be just like God. I mean, you can almost hear the hiss of Lucifer in their words. See, God has a special training program for those who think, my ascent is assured, my success is locked down, my reputation is unimpeachable, and it's all because of me. We'll build it up. We'll magnify ourselves. Scripture says it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let everyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, if you're here this morning and you are convinced that you stand apart from God, you stand alone, you stand independent of God and people, you stand without needing help, you stand unaccountable, then Scripture says, take heed. That's the Bible's way of saying, look out. Grab a parachute. Find a ripcord. Because a fall may be coming your way. You know, the airtight business plan goes, goes belly up, or you're expecting the A, and you get the F. Or she says, I won't, and you were expecting, I do. See, see, God loves us so much that He will at times push us off of the edge of the altar of our accomplishments because He wants to preserve us and protect us. That, and, and he is so radically jealous of our love that he'll lay low anything that might eventually compete for supremacy in our life. Because he wants us for him and him alone. And David Brainerd began to see it that way. He didn't see it at first, but he began to see it that way. And he was able to put God in the picture of this, 
of this failure, of this denial, and to see it as an opportunity to humble himself, which is what he did as he went back to the administration and went back to Chauncey Whittlesey, and he penned this confession. And I quote, I humbly confess that herein I have sinned against God and acted contrary to the rules of His Word and have injured Mr. Whittlesey. I had no right to make thus free with his character and had no just reason to say, as I did concerning him, my fault herein was the more aggravated in that I said this concerning one that was so much in my superior and one that I was obliged to treat with special respect and honor by reason of the relation I stood in to him in the college. I have often reflected upon this act with grief. I hope on account of the sin of it, and I'm willing to lie low and be abased before God and man for it, and humbly ask the forgiveness of the governors of the college and of the whole society, but of Mr. Whittlesey in particular. Now, if this were a Hollywood production, there would be some kind of surprise, last-minute reversal. And that might be what you're expecting and where you're expecting this story to go. Certainly that's what happens, right, Dave? They reinstate him. Isn't that what happens? Not even close. The administration remained unmoved. Under no circumstances would David Brainerd be permitted to finish his degree whatsoever. You know, sometimes life is like that, isn't it? It's where providence allows a punishment beyond what the failure seems, from our perspective, to require. You know, the guy or the woman who gets nailed the first time they cut a corner, and, and, and the, the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime or, 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 or you screw up once at work and you get labeled with that screw up, even though it only happened one time, that becomes the way people remember you or think about you. And I don't know how this played out for David Brainerd. Maybe David Brainerd was always known from them on, then on as the Yale wannabe or something like that. But life is like that at times. Sometimes our, our lowest moments become our biggest labels. But in the unfathomable mercy of God, He... He comes to us in those moments and he, he overwrites our labels by using our worst moments for His glory and for our good. And that's what really was going on with David Brainerd. David Brainerd was denied a dream. He was laid low. And there's a sense where this young man who was bright, somewhat humble, but also intoxicated with his own opinion, so much so that he was willing to speak it out in front of all of his friends. His pride in his gifts and his accomplishments took a mortal blow. In other words, God attacked something that needed to go in David Brainerd so that he could become something he was called to be. God refused his desire because he had a better plan. So it's the better plan first of being laid low. Secondly, the better plan of being laid aside. Of being laid aside. 
Have you ever had an experience like Stu or like David Brainerd where your pattern of ascent seems to be consistent only to be suddenly set aside? I know I have. And, and there's a sense where, we're, where God wires us in a way where our joy and our happiness seems to be tied to a kind of forward momentum, a forward progress. But, but the problem with that is, is that we define progress way too narrowly. We define it as the fulfillment of our dreams, as the completion of our goals, as the upward mobility in our life. But, but God sees progress much differently than we do. And to achieve his goals, God's goals, he will occasionally pull us aside in life for a little one-on-one time. You know, it, it, it might be an illness. It could be a, a crisis in your family or in your marriage or a, an unexpected downsizing in your job or an unfavorable evaluation or some kind of loving discipline that God brings that is at times can be wholly inexplicable. I mean, it's Moses in the desert. It's David in the caves of Adullam. It's those seasons that seem to be handcrafted for each and every believer, but they always have the same effect in our life. We go from running full speed in a well-defined race to, to the point where we are kind of unexpectedly standing alone alongside of the track while other people continue to run around the track. Now listen, here's what I want you to hear about that. Those are not random. Those are not random whatsoever. Oftentimes, those are God's preparation for our redirection. And that's exactly what it was for David Brainerd. This is how John Piper summarized this season of his life. He said, quote, Before the way was cut off for him to the pastorate, David Brainerd had no thought of being a missionary to the Indians. But now he had to rethink his whole life. There was a law recently passed that no established minister could be installed in Connecticut who had not graduated from Harvard, Yale, or a European university. So Brainerd felt cut off from his calling. Think about that. He felt cut off from his calling. Brainerd had one goal. That was to be a pastor. Gone in a moment. Gone in one careless, arrogant whisper. An entire dream destroyed. One career-ending comment for David Brainerd. Cut off from his life calling. Have you ever had a big dream like that that just evaporate? Mysteriously disappear, you don't know why? Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God dispenses with our goals because they're nothing more than our goals. They're not his goals. They're our goals for ourselves. I remember being... I remember starting an entry-level position one time in a very large company where my goal and I say this with all humility, my goal was to be a senior executive within a year. Now, looking back upon that, I realized that would have taken a brain transplant 
and the sudden resignation of about 5,000 people for me to achieve that goal. But it was my goal. It was my goal. It was not rooted in reality, but it was my goal. So you get what I'm talking about. You know, you, you got the mom who wants to have their kids reading at the age of two in college at 12. You've got the 28-year-old who wants to be a, a millionaire by 30 years old, but he doesn't really have a job right now. Or you have a goal to change, but your change is coming much more slowly than you ever hoped or prayed or expected. See, my point is this. God has a different plan than simply the satisfaction of our completed to-do list. And sometimes God will frustrate our goals because he's got goals of his own. Because he wants to reroute us in our character and reroute us in our life. And so sometimes the doors, they just remain closed because God's moving us down the hallway to another door. In other words, down the hallway to another plan. And I know it can be hard to see that right now. You can say, Dave, I don't see that at all. All I see is myself stuck. I'm just here. Well, that's right. We don't at times see that because we're not God. And there's a sense where God is always working in our life, always working through our circumstances to make us a being that lives by faith and not by sight. And that's very important to a life that pleases him because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you know what? There's something else as well, and that is that, that, that sometimes God frustrates our goals and will lay us aside to, to, to relocate our fundamental identity from what we do to what he did for us. Because he's, life is about moving from this self-designation where we're always often almost instinctively thinking about what we do, defining ourselves by what we do, by who we are, over the bridge to what He's done for us. And that's what leads me to the third part of the plan, and that is the better plan of learning the gospel lessons in failure. The gospel lessons in failure. The better plan of learning the gospel lessons in failure. Because the gospel comes to us right where we are, right with what we're struggling with, and reminds us that God is in control of all situations. I mean, think about it. If God put Pilate in power and worked through Pilate's fears and Pilate's cowardice to save the world, then Yale's review board was certainly within God's jurisdiction as well which meant that David Brainerd's failure and the board's rejection was not random whatsoever. That God is in so much control, is so big and so powerful, that He controls all people in power, including the Yale Review Board. And here's the fascinating thing, and this is how it relates directly to our series. God does that by working through the desires of the heart. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. See, if we were looking upon this as just in, in the natural, if we were just looking at this story from the outside, we would see nothing 
but what appears to be the board's overreaction, the board's sensitivity to David Brainerd, the board's sensitivity to the youthful arrogance, which you would think is part of every student on that campus. But, but Brainerd was eventually able to see beyond man's actions to the hand of God behind the scene, pulling the strings and working things out for a better plan. Listen to his words. Quote, this is what he said as he went along. Quote, I felt myself exceedingly calm and quite resigned to God, respecting my future employment when and where he pleased. My faith lifted me above the world and removed all those mountains that I could not look over of late. I now found sweetly revived in my mind the wonderful discovery of infinite wisdom in all the dispensations of God towards me, which I had little before I met with my great trial at college. Everything appeared full of the wisdom of God. See, there's a sense where David Brainerd was able to access the gospel to the point where he was not, not the Yale Review Board wasn't big, God was big. And he was able to see the bigness of God even in his own failure. There was a sense where the gospel showed him that Jesus chooses those who are failures to display his glory. That's God chooses the weak ones to display the power of God. And that that's part of the narrative of the gospel all the way from the beginning. I mean, Peter denies Jesus three times. He flees from him in his hour of greatest need. Peter is a failure at at the gospel. He's a failure at a disciple. In fact, we're going to look at Peter next week. But what does Christ do? Well, Christ resurrects from the dead. He returns to the disciples, and he restores Peter. And there's just the sense that you see in the storyline that because of the cross, he tells Peter that he will not be chained to his failure, that his failure will not define him, that that's not the label that's always going to be stuck across him, that the cross is the ultimate wisdom of God for our failures. It's God's reminder that our failures are not big enough to interrupt God's plan for our lives, whether it's for Peter or for all of us. In, in the gospel, and because of the gospel, and because God loves us, there's always another chance. There's always another chance. I once heard a story about Thomas Edison. It seems his, uh, his team had invented something called the light bulb. The light, they invented the light bulb, and, and once he was finished with this invention, he gave it to a young boy to carry to another part of the building to have a test done on it. And guess what happened? Yeah, it did. Broken glass everywhere. Edison saw what happened, because it happened right in front of him, and he immediately turned to his crew and, 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 and they, he ordered them to build another one. And, and this is what's neat about the story. Three weeks later, The second one was completed, and he called the boy back over, and he handed it to him the second time, and he told him to try again. He gave the boy a second chance, and the boy successfully delivered it to the other part of the production chain. See, the gospel announces that we're not defined by our our drop light bulbs, and we all have them, don't we? 
those areas of our life that we've just dropped, that there's always another plan, there's always another chance, there's always an amazing God who's powerful enough to take our mess and to convert it, to work it, to transform it into a better plan. And so our failures are often nothing more than desires denied because there's this better plan that God wants to bring onto the stage. And that's what happened with David Brainerd. Because there's this strange twist in the story where shortly after his expulsion from from Yale, a group of ministers that were sympathetic to Brainerd's story licensed him to preach. And this opened a way for him to be appointed as a missionary to the American Indians. Now keep in mind, that wasn't his dream. That was never his goal. In fact, for David Brainerd, it was nothing more than an opportunity to serve. That's all it was. He just had an opportunity to serve. And he did. And I would love to tell you that as soon as he did, as soon as he went out into the field, that the success was amazing, that a revival immediately broke out. But his life was no different than yours and mine. Success did not come immediately. His experience was trial and error, discouragement, persevering with little fruit, in fact, almost a year into the experience of being a missionary, Brainerd said, quote, As to my success here, I cannot say much as yet. The Indians seem generally kind and well-disposed towards me and are mostly very attentive to my instructions and seem willing to be taught further. Two or three, I, I hope, are under some convictions but there seems to be little of the special workings of the divine spirit among them yet, which gives me many a heart-sinking hour. Sometimes I hope God has abundant blessings in store for them and for me, but at other times I am so overwhelmed with distress that I cannot see how his dealings with me are consistent with covenant love and faithfulness. And I say, surely his tender mercies are clean gone forever. But however, I see I needed all this chastisement already. It is good for me that I have endured these trials and have hitherto little or no apparent success. Now I want you to think just for a second about the transformation that has taken place in the life of this young man. I mean, he's gone from a college expulsion to little success in service in an area that he never wanted to be in, but here's his conclusions. It is good for me, he says, that I have endured these trials and have had little apparent success. How can a man fail that big and and then move to another role that has little or no impact and somehow be satisfied with God? See, there's this sense that for David Brainerd, failure became a lesson, not a label. It it didn't condemn him. It, It coached him. And it coached him towards trusting God and humbling himself. And the practice of trusting God and humbling himself became a kind of paradigm for enduring 
future disappointments. He learned something about God. He learned something about himself. And so, David Brainerd persevered. And eventually, God smiled upon his service. And amazing revival broke out among the Delaware Indians. But that's another story. But here's what I want you to hear. And I hope you remember this for the rest of your life. That his failure opened the door for new desires. That his expulsion became God's redirection. His failure became God's redirection. And you know what's funny? Nobody remembers David Brainerd for his failure. In fact, if you know of his name at all, and I recognize some of you may not, but if you know of his name at all, you're certainly not thinking about him in respect to his failure. In fact, if you walk across the campus of Yale at this very moment, you will bump into Brainerd Hall, the only building in the history of man ever named after a student who was expelled. A kind of temporal monument to an eternal truth that because of the Savior, God can redeem our biggest mistakes and He can provide a better plan. He can redeem and reclaim our dropped light bulbs. And so let's, let's remember David Brainerd's life so that we can consider, Hebrews chapter 13, the outcome of his way of life and imitate his faith. Let's pray.